Well, good evening again. I had them bring me up a cup of coffee so I can stay awake for the sermon. I don't know why, I'm pretty tired. I got a good night's rest. And I guess it wasn't good enough. Anyway, this here is, what, the fourth day? Anyway, this is the, uh, just before the Sabbath. It's not quite the Sabbath, but it is getting close to that. This is a extenuation of what I was doing before. I brought out last time how we um, see what we have to work on and then work on it. We don't always get it done right. I know I've been trying. I've, I've made a little bit of, of, uh, of change. Uh, I didn't get super upset at, uh, upset at my dog, and I didn't beat her to death. So that was a, that's a, a step forward for me <laughs> because she did have an accident. It was mostly my fault, anyway. But that's today we're going to go and see a little bit more about the days on leavened bread and and why we take uh, the. Uh, Put that light down a little bit there. Why we take and eat unleavened bread. I got a quote here first from John Reitenbaugh. The eating of unleavened bread is intended by God to directly serve as a reminder of something so often overlooked and also very important to our salvation. That was he he had made a sermon many, many years ago. And I thought that was a pretty decent quote because sometimes we don't always look at what God has done and what God is doing for us. We'll start with 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 1. 1 Peter 4. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So Christ died for us, and he actually covered all of our sins. Verse 2, Then he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh through the lust of men, but to the will of God. So, Christ died for us, but Peter was telling us that, you know, if we're going to be like Christ, we're going to walk like Christ and act like Christ, we're going to die to sin because he paid that penalty for us. But we are still alive. We're still humans. And so, our whole goal and purpose should be to bring the... to bring glory to God and to do God's will. So it takes a lot of studying and praying, and sometimes prayer is hard to come by. I I know from time to time I get up and I'm very tired, and I kind of find I get myself in a bind because I, I find other things come about and try to pull me away from my time in prayer. 
So it's probably a struggle for me at times. I guess I should get up earlier. I don't know. Anyway, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to bring honor to God. Like I said last time, I want to, to pray. I want to go to God. I want to, uh, I want to talk to God and have a, a personal relationship with Him. You know, I, many years of my life, in fact, almost all of it, uh, I've always had somebody there I could talk to. And I'm learning that now that I'm by myself, that I need a, I need to have a person, and that's God, to be very close to. And I know I can pray, but then I can take the Bible and sit down and read. And when I, when I pray and ask God for help, sometimes my Bible study grows into hours. <laughs> I don't guess because I'm a slow reader anyway. Ephesians 4, verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversations of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So, it takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. So, I eat my unleavened bread and I sit there and think, oh, how can I honor God and what can I do to make it make myself more compatible to God and to His things. So I need to have His mind, and I get that mind, God's mind, by reading the Scriptures. And there's so many places that they all fit together, and just, it just builds one on top of another. So I try to keep my mind renewed, not always get it that way, but I try. Verse 24, And that you put on the new man, which is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So that's a, an effort. I want to be, be righteous. The only righteous I can be is what God gives to me. But I want to do it in true holiness, which means I have to have a very personal relationship with the Creator. So when I wrote that list, I put that list down, I go over that list. And sometimes it's so big because it keeps expanding. I don't, every, every day I, I read some more in the scriptures and I say, well, I'm short there too. So it takes a lot of work and effort. It can't just, you can't just ask God for help and then do nothing because you become like the Laodiceans were who, who said, I already know that. So, I don't have to. I don't have to spend the time because I already know it. But I don't. I don't know it. I, maybe all of you can do that. So I've got something here to work on. Work on trying to become righteous. Work on trying to be bringing honor and praise and glory to the Father. And then I came across this scripture, and I said, "And and I, this is one that you've heard." Many times, Daryl has really expounded on it, and if you read it, but it's something to work on. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I should memorize this one. Maybe we all should memorize this, because it's something really important 
to get and, and to work on. It says casting down imaginations. The, what do you imagine? Sometimes somebody will cross us, or we think they cross us, and we imagine the wrong things because you really don't know what the other person thinks about. We can we can judge each other, or we can think somebody is looking at me and just don't find the fault with me. So we can have the wrong type of imagination. So here, Paul said, cast down those imaginations. Look at what's there. Be, be on top of it. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What exalts against God? The wrong attitude. And Paul gave us many areas uh, in the scriptures that says these are the things that are against God. So if we have we we have a wrong imagination that exalt themselves against each other, we're as in um, Matthew twenty five where Christ said, If you treat me, if you treat each other, you're treating me and God that way. So whatever we do, if we've got wrong imaginations, uh, we are exalting ourselves against God because He doesn't want that. Goes on to say, bring every, bringing into captivity. That's difficult for me. I don't know about you, but it's sometimes difficult to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm, I'm just a lot of things I got to work on, and I added that to my list, and I thought, wow. My list keeps growing. <laughs> anyway, I think that's an important tool to try to bring your wrong thoughts, your thoughts of, you know, your imaginations, which we can, as a child, we imagine, I imagined cars and trucks and, you know, I could, I had a big imagination. I've known one person one of my wives said that she always imagined she had a sister or a brother. She didn't have either one, but her imagination brought it into that all the time. So to bring the wrong thoughts into the into the obedience of Christ, being being up front with your life every day, that becomes to me as a major challenge every day because trying to keep up my thoughts and our thoughts and each other in the right direction is very important. Second Corinthians thirteen. Second Corinthians thirteen now. I have I have a lot of challenges. I can bring myself into this because I I get challenged last night we I sat and talked with uh, uh, Kirby and, and Jocelyn, and, and it was it was enjoyable, really enjoyable, to find out part of their life. That's one of the things I see in, in a lot of times we we imagine things, but we can't really know the other person until we sit down and talk with them, and. And it has to be a two-way communication line. Most of the time, with 
some of the people I've known in times past, they do all the talking, you do all the listening. So you know who they are, or what they do, or what they're thinking, but they have no idea who you are. So it's, when I sat there last night, I, I got a little bit deeper understanding of a brother and a sister, or who they are, and what they go through. Anyway, Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, examine yourself. So, when it comes to having wrong imaginations, I have to examine myself. Do I really have those things? Do I have the wrong thoughts? Uh, do I prejudge other people? You know, we say, well, we're not to judge each other, but sometimes we do that. We prejudge other people for what they do. Based primarily on what we do. My life. I was thinking as a kid, um, I had a paper route at eight years old. So I can look at somebody else that says he, he or she works a lot of their life and I think, well, I did too. So, you know, it's easy to examine another person. Your husband, your wife, your kids. Well, we shouldn't examine our kids. <laughs> Keep them in line. But we got to examine ourselves. Whether you be in the faith. Now, when you were doing your examination, did you put that into your mind? Did you say, am I truly in the faith? Do I truly trust God? Do I believe what God says? I can go back and read the Old Testament, and I think, well, maybe these guys don't do that. But then I can read in the New Testament, in Second Peter, or First Peter, says that these people wrote... What they wrote wasn't their own thoughts. God inspired those people in that ethic. So, here it says to examine ourselves and see if we are in the true faith. And prove your own self. So we can't go out and judge another person, but we've got to prove ourselves that we are in the true faith. Knowing you, uh, know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobate. Is Christ in you? Do I walk like Christ? Do I talk like Christ? We live in a, a world that is so far advanced to years when I was a kid. I mean, when I Went into electronics, it was tubes. Now we got, we got computers. When I worked with the Air Force, the computer was the whole front of the aircraft. Now your cell phone does more than that computer does. So it's advanced so far, so far ahead. Is Christ in me then? And I go back in the past 60 years and say, have I really got Christ in me? Or, Am I a hypocrite? It's easy to be a hypocrite sometimes. A hypocrite is somebody that play acts. They go to church, they pay their tithes, or they talk a good talk. But when it gets down to 
Whether you really trust and have faith in Christ, it's another story. It's a completely different story. So I have to ask myself, I have to prove to myself that I really believe what Christ says. And he says to that he gave his life for me. Do I really believe that? I wasn't there. This is many years later. Do I really believe that there is a new kingdom coming? I hope. I want to. Because this world is really in wretched shape. shape. Anyway, am I in the faith? Have you? Do you have the faith? Colossians 1, verse 23. Colossians 1, verse 23. Am I in the faith? If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Grounded and settled. That means you've got to, you've got to know exactly where you are. You have to know without a doubt. And you can't let things come to you that will pull you away. Because there's a lot out there that can cause you to not do the right things. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under the heaven, whereof I, Paul, am a minister. So, we have ministers who have been trained in how to teach and we can be... Do we really believe it? Are we grounded? Is this the way we want to be? I, since we started this little group 20 years, 23 years ago, almost 23 years ago, I've seen a lot of people come and go. I've seen elders come, uh, deacons come, people, and apparently they were not grounded as, as deeply as they should have been. Because they were looking for something different. They didn't wind up staying. So when we had it at one time over a hundred people, and we have today twenty-five counting kids, where are these other people? How grounded were they in their faith? Did they really truly believe what God brought us to here? When I first heard the first, one of the uh, first five of the Minor Prophets series, I, it, to me it sounded like, this is Herbert Armstrong speaking. Because this is what caused me to change in the first place. And so, I didn't leave Worldwide. Worldwide left me. And they went off who knows where. But how many people were not grounded in their faith? Where are they today? One man told me uh, he was going to—he was going to take and train his son to be a top baseball player. So I won't be able to come to services. Do you think he could find the Church of God today? He wouldn't know where to go. So how how grounded in your faith are you? First Peter five, verse nine. First Peter five. Nine. Whomso resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren 
that are in the world. So we fight uh, the parable of the of the wilderness and of the seeds. Some fell on on hard ground before it could ever develop. It died out. I can remember back uh, back in the early eighties, a lady came to me and she wanted to know whether her mother could be in the kingdom. And she was here, and she was there for a week, and then disappeared. Or maybe the people that got the seed that fell on a mountain, on a rock, and it started to grow. I've witnessed that, where the first major trial that hit them, whether they were going to keep the Sabbath or keep their job, or maybe it was in the case of husband and wife, one or the other was was in totally against the church, and so they disappear. You lose your job, or you lose your family. So we get the same afflictions. Then there were those that fell among the thorns. I think some of the people that were not grounded really in the faith that came out here, they allowed the cares of this world to pull them away. So are your feet into the good soil where you can produce a lot of fruit? Here at the feast we've eaten unleavened bread and we try our best to to change or see our mistakes and work on those mistakes. I think one of another another quote John made I thought was interesting. He said, uh, "I'm trying to bring this in from memory. I didn't write it down." He said that uh, uh, if you think that you're eating unleavened bread to make the changes in your life, all on your effort, they are not going to work. If you only think that it's all your effort, how much effort you have will make the change, it's not going to work. Christ is the sacrifice. And He is the one that redeems us from our sins. His life takes and paid the penalty for our stuff. That without the Passover, you have to understand that without the Passover, Christ being killed, we are un- unable to partake of the unleavened bread. If, if it wasn't for Christ accepting the beating, having these people spit in his face, jam that thorns on his head, slug him, tie him to a stake, whip him, so they pulled the flesh off his body, and he could see his bones, you know, back in Psalm 22, talks about his bones showing, and then being nailed to a stake, we could not in any way take the true unleavened bread. It had to be because of Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. 
Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. So, we've got to take in, with Christ's help, we've got to look at our life and work on those details that are leavened. Not, you know, we leaven our house and we work really great at doing that. We see that. But do we really work at making the change when we see what's leavening inside our bodies? So he said, purge out the old leaven, your old way of life. I know he was talking to the Corinthian church, but talking to us too. Do we purge out the old leaven, the old way of life, that we may be a new lump, as you are unleavened for Christ? Our Passover is sacrificed for us. So we purge out, we get rid of that stuff because Christ did it for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, the old way of life. So every year, you know, you go from Passover to Passover and you try and you fall and fail so we take the Passover each year and recognize the fact that Christ paid for even though we try hard, we don't always we don't always do it. We're human. We have things that will pull us aside and if we're not careful, it'll pull you all the way out of the picture. Because if you don't stay with Christ, you won't won't have a part of the kingdom of God. So we've got to get rid of it. Therefore, let us keep the feast with, uh, not with the old leaven, and neither with the leaven of, the mal- of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that's a challenge. That's a big challenge for me. I imagine for everybody, to a, to a degree, some bigger than others. Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. He recognized he, his only way to salvation was through Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live. He said, I die with Christ, but I'm also alive. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. So Paul is telling us, what we've got to do is live like Christ did. Whatever challenges that he went through, we're going to get those challenges too. So we've got to let Christ live in us. And the life which I now live, Paul said, in the flesh, he said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live... So he did a great work and God was able to use that man tremendously. And we could probably try to pattern our life after the commitment and the loyalty and the faith that Paul had. And we can look at those that are here today that, that set us that example, that they set us an example of faith and trust and loyalty to God. Who loved me, Paul said. He said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me 
and was willing to give himself for me. To realize that that unleavened bread that we eat is Christ. We sat and had a piece of bread to represent the body of Christ that was ripped off his body that, that we could be alive through him. So what I'm saying is without Christ, we can do nothing, basically. We can think we can. Well, we can do physical things, you know. But as far as honoring and loving God, we can do nothing. We just can't do it. We have to have God leading us every day. Turn now to John 15. We read this at Passover. I'm going to read through a lot of this. John chapter 15. This is part of the Passover, part of what Christ was telling the people. John 15, verse 1. Christ said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Christ is the vine. You know, when you look at a grapevine, and you, they trim them every year, and they put out new branches, the vine... The main part of the vine is cultivated by the husbandman. So Christ is that vine. And every branch, Christ said, in me bears, that bears not fruit, he takes away. So Christ is saying, I'm looking at your life. If you're not producing fruit some way, if you're not producing the fruit, you're going to be taken away. He said, I will, they will be taken away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So when you're growing, sometimes we get, we're growing. Maybe we don't see it quite so much, but we are growing. And God's going to prune us. So he corrects us. And he loves us. If we get corrected, and you get it in sermons, you get it when you read it, read the scriptures, and there are other ways. Just communicating together, you know, iron sharpens iron, so as brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we can, we can help each other. Maybe we don't know it, but we can. And we can be pruned that way. With, um, in James... He said, if you see a brother or sister make a mistake and you lovingly go to them and point out their mistakes and they change, Christ said, you are saving a person. So, sometimes we get pruned in different ways. Now you are, uh, now you are clean though uh, through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Realize that Christ is saying, if you follow me, abide in me, he said, I'm going to be with you. If you're studying and growing and trying to make some change, you're there with me, I'm with you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So, the only way he's saying that you're going to bear any kind of fruit is that you have to be tied to Christ. 
accept it abide in the vine, no more can you accept you abide in me. So he's given the analogy of of, uh, of grapes growing. If you prune the tree, you prune the vine, it put out new branches, and the new branches will put out a lot of new fruit. So God will prune you so that you will grow and produce more fruit. Christ said in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Not a little, brings a lot of fruit. Because God is with you, Christ is with you. For he says, without me, you can do nothing. That's such an important factor, and that's why John made that statement. There's much more to Passover in the days of unleavened bread than just us eating the bread. It's having Christ with you or with me. In Acts 4, keep your finger there in, in John because we're going to come back. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, if we, where Christ said, without me you can do nothing. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no salvation any place else. For there is none other name under the heavens given among men whereby you are saved. You have to come and be saved through Christ. Christ has to be in you. Philippians 4 verse 13 Philippians 4 13 Paul again states to the Philippian church, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So everything, Paul said, I can do this. I can get there. But I do it with Christ. I do it through Christ. That's how I'm able to accomplish that. Go back to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. So it's not just Paul is saying these things. Let's look at Isaiah, a major prophet written for the church today. Isaiah 40, verse 40, I mean, verse 28. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you not known? Isaiah was inspired to write. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth faints not. He's, he's not like us. We get weary and faint or we get weary and out of sleep. He said, I don't faint. Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. Isn't it a blessing to think that Christ and the Father will give you the power when it's needed. And to them that have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait on the eternal shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as an eagle. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk 
and not faint. Our God, our Father, and our elder brother, husband-to-be, has so much love for us that they will help us every time we need it. Again, chapter 41. Chapter 41, verse 10. It says, Isaiah was inspired to write, Fear you not, for I am with you. So through these days, Christ is here with us. The Father is Spirit is here with us. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up with the right hand of righteousness. Isn't that amazing to think that we have such a loving Father that will take care of us that way? Go back to John 15 now. John 15, back at chapter 15, verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And the men gather them and cast them into the fire and they burned up. If we are not aligned with Christ and the Father, the end result is not doesn't look very good, does it? You'd be gathered up and thrown in the fire. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. I ask God all the time for help. I got that list. I, I said I ask God to help me see. First of all, I ask Him to help me see my mistakes. So before the Passover, I I got to judging myself and asked God to help me see who I am. We're here seeing who God is. Here in John, in John 15, who am I? Verse 8. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Doesn't that really excites me to think that if I bear fruit, my Father is glorified. So I can think, I better do, I better get to work. I better start doing some changes myself because I want to glorify my Father. So shall you be my disciples, Christ says. If we bear fruit, if we show growth in God's way, then we are disciples of Christ. So we have six days. We had one day. No, that was... That was... I had never thought about Passover and, and I have been keeping six days starting with Passover as the first day of unleavened bread. I never gave it a thought that way it came brought out to us last time. And that's important to me because six days I have the opportunity to eat leavened bread, unleavened bread, and look at who I am. And also eat the unleavened bread and to see who God is. Verse 9, If my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. God loves us. And we should continue 
loving him. If you keep my commands, you shall abide in my love. So here's a direct statement to hey, You have to keep all the commands that God has. Not just the Ten Commandments, but there's a lot of commandments. There's a lot of things that Christ expects us to do. If you keep my commandments, all of them, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here Christ has said, I kept God's commandments. I did it the best I possibly could. If you do the same thing, then you abide in Christ's love, and Christ will be in you. These things have I spoken unto you, that you, that my joy might remain in you, and that you, your joy might be full. So he wants us to be joyful. That's one of the fruits of God's Spirit, being joyful. And having love is another fruit of God's Spirit. So we can, we can go through, uh, Galatians 5 and start seeing how much fruit am I, am I producing? That's, there's a place to find out, are you producing fruit? Do you have love? Do you have joy? Are you at peace? Do you have long suffering? Do you have patience? Those are the fruits. And there's a case where we can go and look and see just how much fruit do I have. This is my commandment, Christ says in John 1, 12, that you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So as Christ loved us, I have to go back and say, how much do I love you? As a brother or sister, uh, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You know, when you get, you get up in this age like Al and me, we can look out and have great, some great-great-grandchildren maybe. <laughs> but uh, do I have that kind of love? Do I realize that if I really love you, then I love Christ and Christ loves me? Greater love has no man than this that a man may lay down his life for his friends. That's really tough to look at. When I look out at the people that I call friends, would I put my life up for their life? Paul said he would give his life for his family. Moses, when he came down from the mountain, and God said, stand back, I'm going to wipe all these people out. And Moses says, take my life. He was talking about eternal life and spare them. How many of us are willing to do that? Who can we look at each other and say, well, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe that one. I, that's pretty tough. Christ said, we are his friends. You are my friends, Christ said, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant doesn't know what the Lord does, but I call you friends. 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. If we read the Scriptures, it's like Christ speaking to us. And he's telling us the same thing that he told these disciples. But we have to be willing to read it and believe it. Verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. How did you come here? Did you decide somewhere down the line you wanted to follow God? Did you decide somewhere down the line that, hey, this is a place, this is interesting, maybe I'm going to come out here. You really didn't do that. God says, you have not chosen me, but I chose you. You came here because God has something for you to do. Maybe we don't understand all the time what he's got us to do, you know. But he called us and put us here for a specific purpose. And it was his choosing and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Again, he's emphasizing you've got to put forth the effort and energy to produce the fruit. And again, go back to Galatians 5. I mean, uh, Galatians 5 and read the fruits of the Spirit. Am I producing that fruit? And that your fruit should remain, not slack off. The, the layer of the sins were told. If you, if you don't change, you won't make it. Christ said, I stand at the door and knock. What he told the layer of sins. We all turned out to be layer of sins because we wouldn't be here if we wouldn't have been layer of sins. And he says, I'm at the door knocking. If you ask me to come in, I'll, I'll eat with you. I'll help you, teach you, be there, like it said there in Isaiah. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it. If we are bearing fruit, if we are remaining faithful, close to God, if we need the help, he will give it to us. I fully believe that that there are things that we don't ask for and there are things we do ask for. The problem is the things that sometimes we ask for we really don't want. <laughs> but the things that we need we should ask for. These things I command you that you love one another. Again, he emphasizes the fact that we Love each other. If the world hated you, you and we've got to face it, uh, the world is, world is not going to like us. We keep the Sabbath, we keep the holy days, they are not going to like us. We love God, they are not going to like us. If the world hates you, know you that it hated me before it hated you. Look at Christ. They they hated Christ. The Jews always thought that the Messiah would come. But when he came, they hated him. They just didn't want him, didn't want any part of him. It's just the way it is. Let's go on. Um, 
Eating of unleavened bread for seven days is directly intended by God to serve as a reminder to us of what he has done to bring us out of this world. As another quote by John Reitenwald. Ephesians 6. This is a way that we can apply what God is doing for us and and just think about it when you go through it. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the eternal and in the power of his might. We've got to be strong and recognize that he has everything for us. Put on the armor of God. This is what we can do. God gives us armament to help us that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We need God. Throughout the days of unleavened bread, throughout the, every day of the year, we need God. Eating unleavened bread helps me to remember, I need the Father. I need Christ. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. He's telling us what to do and how to do it. That you may be able to withstand the evil day which is coming. We know it. There are things happening in this world rapidly. Those evil days are going to be upon us very soon. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with, with truth. What is truth? John seventeen seventeen. God's word is truth. That's where we have to go back to. God's word to find out what's right and what's happening. The truth. And having the breastplate of righteousness. That protects your heart. You know, the breastplate was there to protect your heart. God's breastplate is his words. And the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we have to be walking in peace. We have to be walking in God's word. Above all things, take the shield of faith. We talked a little bit about faith earlier. Is our faith strong or weak? If you have to have the breath, you have to have the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you have that sword? If you have that sword, you can speak it. You know, we can hear sermons, we can hear, we can read things, but if we don't apply it to our life, we don't have the sword. The sword is God's Word. Do you know God's Word? Are you really living it that way? And pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit 
and watching there tune to all perseverance and supplication for all, for all saints, for each other. We pray for each other, for the faults that we have. We have a brother that's in a peculiar position right now. It's very difficult for him to keep up. So we need to pray for him that he has the strength to endure through this. And for me, Paul said, the utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth. So we should pray for Daryl. He's the one God's bringing the main message to us from. We should pray for him to have the strength and the energy and ability to speak and continue to teach us and lead us in the path of righteousness. Philippians 1 verse 11, last scripture. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Being filled, full. We can have a cup half full that we need to fill or it could be half empty. Whichever one you want it to be. The days of unleavened bread are indeed about overcoming. That's what they're set up to be. However, they are primarily about God. Overcoming Satan, this world, and sin. Not about us doing it with our puny efforts. Without, Christ said in John chapter 15, verse 5, Without me, you can do nothing in the way of the production of fruit. It's all about God. And our efforts, and our love, and our commitment to doing it God's way.